It's like, I have all these birds. What do I do? Let's make another movie. I had to kill all these birds in that movie, and I stuffed them all. Now I'm going to put them in this movie. Damn it. (laughs) They're in in my house, in my garage. From Rosemary's Baby and Reagan McNeil to Jason, Freddy, and Chucky to Samara Jigsaw Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and with me in the studio tonight is my lone co-host, Helen Stewart. Hello. All right, well, tonight we are reviewing the classic American psychological horror film, 1960s Psycho, directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock and written by Joseph Stefano. It stars Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh, John Gavin, Vera Miles, and Martin Balsam, and was based on the 1959 novel of the same name by Robert Block. The film centers on an encounter between a secretary, Marion Crane, who ends up at a secluded motel after stealing money from her employer, and the motel's owner-manager, Norman Bates, in its aftermath. So you picked this movie, Helen. I did. Why? My best friend loves this movie, and I also think this is a great movie. And we're still in the classics, I think, right? We're still Yeah, sure, sure we are, yeah. Your best friend, male or female? Female. Okay. Your age? Yes. So okay. Do you think that plays a role? I'm, I was just wondering. I was okay. curious. Okay, I'm just curious because I know how you already feel. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good with the movie. So you've seen this before. I have. Okay. Yeah. I also tried the 1998 version, which was crap, and got through 15 minutes. So that's might, my opinion on I'm that. I'm actually very interested in watching the 98 version now Those that I've seen me. this. <laughs> that's like to me starting out of order. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I will do it. We won't review it. I'll just do it off. Okay. I'll do it off books. Okay. Yeah, no, I have never seen this movie before, so it was it was interesting. I mean, we've done 1933, uh, really old. We've done a lot of 70s movies recently, and to kind of go back one more decade to the 60s, really the 50s, I almost late 50s. It came out in 60, but I think it has a 50s mentality to it. Right. To get into that decade was interesting compared to the other ones that we've we've reviewed. I think. And that's our first Hitchcock. Yeah. It's like you know. That, that's true. Our first Hitchcock as well. Yeah. Yeah, an icon in the horror field. Yep, absolutely. So to get into this, why don't we start by talking about the plot in general of this movie because it's interesting to me. When I sat down to watch it, I really only had uh, limited knowledge about the movie itself. You have the whole you know, knife shower scene, and uh, most people end up knowing the end, the twist. Right. Uh, I knew those two things. So when it started with this woman, Marion, and she's stealing $40,000 in Arizona, I was like, what the hell's going on? What am I watching? Yeah, I feel like with the 1960s kind of, I guess the 50s feel, as we were saying, Mm -hmm. like you get more of a story instead of just like a horror with no plot. So it definitely appeals to me in the I love classic movies in general sense. Yeah, some may say it's almost more story than horror or anything. There's a lot of story in here, I feel like. I think her piece of the plot takes up one third of the total time before she ever even gets to the Bates Motel. But I will tell you that that very first shot of Arizona, I don't know. I felt like it was 4K, like so clear. Is it black and white? And he's panning across the the skyline. It was such a great shot. I don't know why it looked so good to me, but it did. Yeah, I feel like Hitchcock definitely puts a lot of effort into how he filmed things. And it comes through specifically in this film. Yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful movie, I thought. And then it kind of swoops down and goes into the into the hotel room window, mm-hmm. which I know you had told me that he was trying to get that as a continuous shot, but he couldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. 
That's interesting. And then the first time I saw this movie, I was not real enamored with it. And I went back and watched it again. But there's a, a mentality you, I think you have to have when you watch it, right? You have to get into the mindset of it. And so when you watch this movie with the right eyes, it opens on these two people and they're in a hotel room. And they are sexy. And they're post They're beautiful people. Yeah. They're yeah. not just like, uh, <laughs> they are beautiful people. They, they are. Although, I mean, the bra is crazy. I mean, it's like a whole I mean, that's shirt, definitely basically. like Marilyn Monroe bra. Yeah. Like it's, they, they were oddly shaped back then. Yeah, like missile yeah. heads or something. It must have been a Cold War thing. I don't really know. I don't know. <laughs> don't touch these. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dangerous. <laughs> Sharp object. Yeah. Ahead. But but I mean, she she's uh, never been married. Right. And he's a divorcee who's paying alimony. Right. For the rest of his life, apparently. So it was definitely like scandalous. And I think that one of the, the things that I had read was that it was a lot of like shove it in your face to the Victorian era, which to me seems absurd a little bit because we are so beyond that but i guess a lot of that kind of feeling was still held at that time point obviously with divorcees yes but yeah i I think probably most definitely in the wasp kind of middle american sensibility probably held on to a lot of those victorian morals right um that carried on until the 60s basically right Mm -hmm. you had woodstock and all that late 60s is when yeah you see the shift in the skirt height and all that the bras become a little less bra thank thank god for the (laughs) 60s and the worst part of that entire scene is the boiled steak because honestly (laughs) who the hell boils steak I guess in the 1950s, it was faster than, because you didn't have a microwave? I don't know. <laughs> Who microwaves steak, honestly? I like, I mean, there's fire. You put the steak on the fire and you cook it. Yeah, it Caveman was disturbing, did it. but. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so, so yeah, they have that whole scene, and then you have the next uh, set of scenes where she's with her employer. That guy was creepy. That, not the employer, but the uh, the, the guy buying real estate. Yeah. yeah, the Texan real estate guy. He was creepy. The, the poor alternate secretary who kept saying you know why isn't he hitting on me oh he must have recognized yeah, my hitchcock's rig. daughter yeah, yeah i mean was he trying to say sorry sweetie you're just not pretty i don't i don't know what was pointing that out for but i mean i guess if you don't have a sit down with your daughter and be like look you need to go on a diet and you need to get maybe that was a good way of doing it you can yeah. be in my movie but you get to be the fugly one in the movie. <laughs> it's kind of rude the entire time you're not even thinking that she's going to steal that money though she's just like yep nope don't even look at it you know, to the other secretary and then she puts it in the envelope and then it's, but it does tie into that scene where he's the, the lover is upset because he can't give her a decent life. Yeah. You know, I didn't follow the first time and, and even the second time to some extent, I didn't follow her logic between kind of, there was no moment, I guess, where she seemed to flip and be like, I'm taking that money. It kind of happened off screen. I feel like she leaves and then you see her in her her apartment or in her room and then the money's sitting on the edge of the bed and she's avoiding it with eye contact but you know she's taking the money she's packing a bag right at that point at that point you know um and i i guess maybe that's supposed to tie into later on when she's talking to bates about kind of going sideways or your life going sideways and you know i guess she's reevaluating that and it was just like a split decision Yeah, I kind of thought that when the creepy guy is talking to her about how he can afford, he only carries the amount of money that he can afford to lose and just re-emphasizing like, are you unhappy? Like, because money should make you happy. Yeah, I like her answer to that. 
which was like not inordinately unhappy. I'm as unhappy as normal people are, you know. I, I, I it like was that. a really great response. Yeah. And even and even his like money can't buy happiness, but it can buy you out of unhappiness or right. whatever he was saying. Mm-hmm. Like there were some good, I guess, lines in in the movie. So how did you feel about her being in the car and leaving? She has the money with her, and she runs into her boss and the creepy drunken guy in the street. So this is actually one of my favorite parts of the movie, beginning right there, because it's her boss like walks across, and she's like, holy shit, he saw me. And you're right. like, he saw her. And did he see her? Did he realize it was her? And so there's all this like dread that sort of creeps into the next couple scenes as she's driving. I think that's like my favorite part of the movie is was that that drive right up to the Bates Motel and like the imagined conversations that are going on in her head. Yeah, yeah, and and the creepy cop <laughs> who wakes her up and then like puts his face right in the right in the window and then follows her. I have to be honest with you, she is not the most smooth operator. No. I mean, if you're going to go and switch out cars, you don't do it when the one cop you do know maybe thinks right you're standing there. Yeah. yeah, but how did he find her? I don't know. But you abort. You abort the mission. You, you just abort. go, you know you're what? Like, I'm. That's okay. I'm just going to go. Right. Like, I had to use the bathroom. I'm really sorry. Yep. I'm out. Thanks for cleaning my car. I got to go. Right. I just, I don't even know why she had to switch cars at that point. I, I would have thought it was because you didn't want the cop to follow you or have your license yeah, plate. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But then why don't you just go to another used car shop? Yeah, and like all your information is in there. You right. just had to give it to this guy to sell your car. And he you just paid with straight cash. Yes. Like <laughs> I mean, you couldn't say, "Hey, I just stole money and I'm running" any louder. That envelope was ridiculously big, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crunchy and she's trying to hide it in her purse and it's just too big. She didn't yeah. do a good job of turning to the side and be like, yeah, let me hide it right here while I get my license out. No problem. Here you go, officer. I know. No, that was good. It's the it's the bra it was able to hide That's, all the Exactly. The, 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 the cones there were like, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I was a little disappointed that all you got to see was bra, but it went from like a white bra to a black bra. It was like good girl, bad girl thing. Yes. Like when on, she switches her mind and decides to take the money, it's all bets are off and we're wearing the black scandalous stuff i mean it wasn't shaped any different it wasn't i think it was literally the same so i had watched a, a little video about this movie because i was trying to get in the mindset before i saw it the second time and uh, they talked about the scene where she, right before she gets to the bates motel where it's raining and it goes from her to the road the shot keeps on going back from her to the road and road to her and each time it comes back to her it keeps on framing her closer and closer more of the screen is her face right and it kind of makes you feel claustrophobic and i didn't notice the first time and didn't really take much um uh, i guess emphasis of it but I think that this is the type of thing that was new when Hitchcock did it. Everybody does it now, right? That's right. not something that is new or great or wonderful. But Hitch, when Hitchcock did it here, it was, you know, it was cutting gr- edge. It was cutting edge, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, so much of this movie is like that, I think. And you have to kind of reel yourself back in to try to watch it with sort of fresh eyes. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> it, it took me a little bit to appreciate it, I, I, I think. So she arrives at the hotel. Yep. It's creepy. It has this super creepy house up on a hill. Norman is up in the house and comes running down because it's pouring rain. 
And you look at him, and I don't think he looks creepy. He looks like your, you know, average dude. No, yeah, Anthony Perkins is the best actor in this movie, hands down. He's amazing. No, he is amazing. Like, I feel like he's heads and shoulders above everybody except maybe Janet Lee, who does a pretty good job with what she has. But I still think she's con- constrained by, I don't know how women were supposed to act back then, Right. I feel like. Anthony Perkins, you could lift him out and put him in a movie today, that act, that, that, the way he's acting, and put him in a movie today, and it would still feel fresh, I think. Yeah, I think that it's also just thinking back at the time, like mental health wasn't really talked about. Mm-hmm. And this type of scenario for him to be able to act that brilliantly in both, you know, mindsets of Norman and Norma is incredible. What I liked about his performance was it was naturalistic. He seemed like a nice guy. He didn't seem like somebody who was a psycho killer. And his interactions with Marion were, I don't know, they, they seemed the most relatable out of all the interactions in the movie. Like yes. all the other interactions seemed very, I don't want to say stilted, but almost like noirish. Like in the later in the movie, after she's killed, spoiler alert, after she's killed. If that's a spoiler, then you yeah, know, you got sorry problem, guys. You got problem. Sorry about that. <laughs> but I mean her sister gets involved. You have the the sort of meathead boyfriend, alimony guy, right, ex husband, and the detective. The detective certainly is very sort of noirish, but they their interactions are much less, I think, naturalistic to me. He just, it's so well-rounded from your, you know, casual conversation with Marion mm-hmm. to being nervous with the detective to them being flat out psycho mom. It was, it was just great. I could have used more psycho mom. I, I, do you think at that time it would have been going too far for them though? Maybe, but I do feel like you don't get enough of him as her where you're really exploring their relationship together. I don't know. You get the scene um, where Marion's overhearing them, which I think is the big sort of setup scene for that, right? Right. Um, and then you get the the scene where he goes up to get her and take her into the root cellar, which is fine. But I don't feel like you get a good sense of the the mother as much as I feel like I would have liked. I don't know. Maybe her interacting with somebody else, right? She doesn't interact with anybody else. I would have liked that. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, maybe it would have been too much. It. Yeah, I liked how it was. I don't know if it would have been too much of a giveaway because he had to be careful. No, it's true. I mean, obviously, I think less is more in the sense of keeping the mystery. And throughout him playing his mother, he had to use different body types of actresses because he didn't want it to be known that she wasn't real or him. Interesting. Like it wasn't like the woman he's carrying down the stairs. When you watch it, you assume that it's a skeleton because it's a really frail looking person, but yep. it's actually just a tiny person. Oh, interesting. Huh. Another one of those, like the thing where he uses somebody else's silhouette so you can't tell who it is. Right. I kind of feel like that's cheating. I got to be honest with you. It's a little bit cheating to me. So I think back in, in those days, it was, they were, people ruined movies, I guess the same as we do now, but just in a different way. So people would show up late to movies. So he was very particular about trying not to let anybody in late to the movie so that they would experience the whole thing and not just come in and walk and see her like being killed and ruined the entire beginning. Like he needed it to be the entire experience. Interesting. So I don't know if that's why he had to be so deceptive. 
Well, it didn't work on me because I already knew. So yeah, we all know. I guess <laughs> like you know, anybody going forward, it's all ruined. But yeah, it is very difficult. I think to watch this movie with in the way that somebody in 1960 would have watched it, right? Because we just know it's like uh, the Sixth Sense. It's like you can't really watch the Sixth Sense knowing the twist. Right. It's a completely different movie. Yes. I agree. I can see that. Yeah, and it was fantastic. Probably in 50 years, someone's going to be doing some sort of space pa- cast about space cast. <laughs> about the Sixth Sense. And they'll be like, oh, everybody knows that what's-his-name's dead. Um, spoiler alert. What's-his-name's dead. And, <laughs> they haven't uh, watched the Sixth Sense either. Yeah, sorry shame about on that. You. Yeah, shame on you. <laughs> the, okay, so one thing that I found really odd about this, where she pulls up and they're in the hotel. He's checking her in. She writes her fake name down, which is all fine. But their conversation is very, well, I was just about to make myself dinner. And then she says, oh, I'm starving. And then he says, well, the nearest place is 10 miles away. And then she's like, oh, well, I'm not starving. And then he brings down the sandwich. And he goes, well, I'm not going to eat dinner. It was very like, what's happening to me? That was the one part I didn't particularly care for. The rest of their conversation was fine. But then it all is happening in this creepy parlor with stuffed birds. Yeah, it is interesting that when he says, hey, 10 miles down the road is the town. And she's like, oh, I'm that close to town? She didn't go, I'm just going to get back in the car and right. drive to the town because my boyfriend's there. And why would I stay here with you, creepy guy? Right. When and I the can rain stops. Yeah. The, and the rain's not. Yeah, it's gone. So. I think she kind of liked him. I think she had like a little, I don't know, feeling because he kind of, when he talks with her, he helps her kind of sort through her problems. Well, yeah. I mean, at the end of it all, she's like, you know, your life looks really yes. messed up. Mine, in comparison, is still okay. You know what? I'm just, I'm going to take the money back tomorrow. I'm, I'm going back, and I'm going to make everything right. Yeah, I think her mom was out of her life and was just a picture on the mantle. <laughs> yeah. Although, I will say, though, if she was looking for, I mean, stabbing cabin doesn't mean the same thing uh, that it does in this movie, as you might think, as sort of a bachelor pad. So, I don't know if she was down with kind of getting with Norman Bates or what her whole deal was. But um, he was peeping a little bit. He is a peeper. Yeah, you wonder how long that had been going on for. And why, okay, so when she first signs in her name, she signs it in as, I don't even remember, Samuel or something like that. Alias, yeah. And he says, where are you from? And she says, Los Angeles, because of the paper. Uh And he switches from room three to like room one. I don't know what about Los Angeles it was that made him switch or if he just thought, oh, she must be a hussy. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think he was like granny panties, thong. Okay. <laughs> LA's thong action. I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> I think of LA, I think of thongs. I don't Anybody know. Anybody from the 50s, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they had some sort of Look at that, the something. bra though. The bra was definitely not like promiscuous looking. It was torpedo. It definitely was. It definitely was. <laughs> so I can't imagine your underwear was skimpy. I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's probably like naval high underwear. I'm sure it's the whole thing. It's like swimwear, basically. But I was disappointed that you didn't get any nudity at all when she's getting undressed to get in the shower. You got a little side boob when the whole like slashing action right. was going on. And I think if you do it shot by shot, you can find a nipple. Well, I didn't do that, Helen. Obviously, somebody did here on the somebody, podcast. But. Not the, not me. <laughs> I read it somewhere because I do know that she was wearing a bodysuit so that they didn't have to be worried about camera angles and modesty. But then there was also a Playboy person who stepped in. 
Oh, that's nice. So I think she did more of the, she might've been the side boob we saw. I'm not really quite sure. Or it mm. might've been her when they were dragging her out in the, in the shower curtain. Well, when he was. When he was, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know if you call split personalities they. Why not? <laughs> I'm yeah. not really sure what's I'm, BC. I will say that I think the best shot in the movie is when they start on her eye. Yeah. And they come back out. How did she not blink? Is that really her? I, I don't know. I but need to look into I, that. I'm sure it is. But, I mean, just the weird angle that her head is at. And right. the fact that she's dead. And, I don't know, it's really, really well done. Yes. Her, she doesn't blink. Like, the eye doesn't move. There's no tearing. I. It was, like, mind-boggling how he pulled that one off. Yeah, I, I, I did like that. The other shot that I noticed specifically was when... Norman Bates goes upstairs to get his mom and take her down to the root cellar and the camera follows him up the stairs and then kind of goes up the door and kind of sits back and then tilts down to the stairs. It's one continuous shot. And I was thinking that's probably one of those technical achievements that that he did that was probably a really hard shot to pull off back in the day. I, I think we're so used to being able to move the camera wherever we want, be able to do whatever we want, get the shot angle we want. We forget that. Back in the day, like a lot of times, you had to put the camera stationary, pointed at something, and that was the scene. Whatever you could fit in, right. in the shot. You know what I mean? You weren't moving it around in in dramatic angles and coming up and swooping low and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was um, it, it was a well shot movie. Was there anything else about the shower scene that was interesting to you besides the flushing toilet? Which oh, I'm yes, sure. the flushing toilet was definitely a throwback to the Victorians because that was the first flushing toilet in any American film. It wasn't even a nice flushing toilet either. No, it looked like it could have been replaced. Like I don't maybe because it's a motel that he was, at, like you know Hitchcock was thinking out. Oh, don't make it a brand new one. Yeah, I mean I agree. <laughs> I mean it looks like it belonged there. I'm just He's saying. He's like I'm going to make this as scandalous as possible because <laughs> this is not going to be off the shelf toilet. Yeah, it's, gr- <laughs> it's gross. Take the one from my bathroom. Have it moved. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he had us a gold one. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know I was hearing about the chocolate syrup as the blood. Chocolate syrup, the blood, and. I was surprised at how little I saw in the movie yeah, when it came down to it. It wasn't it, to me. It wasn't very realistic. You would assume that you would see blood kind of coming down behind her as well, and more blood going into the drain, but you don't. And then as he's mopping, I also thought that was really funny because he keeps mopping and like nothing's getting cleaned up on the side of the shower. I guess because the head was up higher, and yeah. and then finally he cleans it off. I was like, he's not doing a good enough job for these like people to come in for detectives. Obviously, has never seen CSI. No, yeah, no bleach or anything. <laughs> and then you see the shot of the the mop bucket later as he's behind the motel. I think. I, maybe the detective goes back and you see yeah. the mop bucket. And I was like, just look over there. You probably can see blood remnants. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. He, he, the water's still bloody water. He never <laughs> even got rid of the water, probably. Just swab the drain. I don't know. Died. Yeah. So when he kills her and he takes her and puts her in the, in the trunk of the car and sinks the car with the money in the swamp. Yes. What, what, did you feel like you wanted him to get away with it? Yeah, I we were talking earlier about this offline and I said, you know, you you watch the film and you see her take the money and you feel like you really want her to get away with it because you just have this attachment to this character and I'm not really quite sure why. You don't know too much about her background. Then she dies and you're just like, "Oh. Well, gee, now she doesn't have the money. She's not going to have this happy ever ending." And but you have now this tie with Norman Bates and he's obviously covering up for his mother, but you want the car to sink. And then as it's going down, it stops and it's like just sitting there gurgling and you're like, oh my gosh, 
he's going to get caught. Like this car is just going to be sitting there in the middle of the pond and then it sinks further and you're like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> that, that was God giving him a chance to get the money out of the trunk. I just think that it was brilliant how Hitchcock makes you feel so much for a character without that much of a background. And you switch. You're like, okay, you know, she dies and you're a part of it, but I now I want you to I want you to get through with it. Yeah, you know, I don't know in the, on my first run through the movie, I I didn't like her. I couldn't tell if she was a protagonist or not because she kind of was doing something stupid by taking that 40,000 bucks. I get that. It's over love, man. I I guess 1950s. But but Anthony Perkins, on the other hand, he grabs you as soon as he comes on screen, and and you do feel for him. Yeah, with the mommy issues. With the mommy issue and all that, and the yeah. isolation that he had obviously been through. Yeah, obviously, yeah, and he's sex starved, probably peeping. You know. Yeah, that is that is very true. I mean, stuffing birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, yeah, when you're stuffing birds for a living, you got. Yeah. yeah, you got problems. Stay away from those problems. beasts. I mean, not, not anybody who's a taxidermist out there. I'm not saying your profession is a bad profession, but like you say, when it when, when he says in the movie, when it's what you ha- do all day, every day, that's a bad thing. So it all shows down at the Bates Motel. The sister who has been looking for her and the hot boyfriend. Meathead, thank you. He's not a meathead. He's delightful to look at. He's a feast for the eyes. <laughs> they are trying to find the detective. And show up at the the motel and try to deceive Norman Bates as to they're a married couple, I think, right? Yeah, On yeah, business they, or something, and yeah, they get they a room. Can, maybe they concoct the plan, they right. get a room. He's trying to talk to Norman Bates to distract him as Lila Crane goes into the, the main house to try to talk to the mother because she thinks the mother had talked to Marion Crane and maybe could shed some light on the death. But as she's looking for her throughout the house, she's like, she goes into the mother's bedroom, sees this huge imprint of a body, which I thought was kind of odd given how little the mother looked. But I guess maybe they're feather beds. I don't know. I mean, I assume it's memory foam, but not really. They don't have memory foam back then. (laughs) I'm just saying. That's kind of what memory foam does in my bed. And then all these weird mirrors. So I don't know if that plays a part into the psyche of Norman and that was supposed to be... Yeah, there's this whole thing with mirrors I, I read. You see, there's a lot of times there's people's reflections as they're having conversations in the rest of the hotel and stuff, but I don't know what Alfred Hitchcock was going for with that, but duality, I don't know. Sure. So she can't she can't find the mother. She tries to leave the house. Norman's coming back up because I think he realizes what's going yeah, on. By the way, the most craziest, unrealistic thing in the movie is him cracking the boyfriend over the head with yes. like a a coffee mug or something like yeah, that a pitcher maybe i don't know and knocking yeah. him out i don't know not he bu- just not slumps buy- to the floor yeah not buying that you she so she runs to the cellar to hide and runs into the mother so she goes you know she's positioned just so in the rocking chair so that you think that she's facing the other way but when she turns her it's a skeleton yeah pretty realistic looking skeleton it was to be awesome. honest with you yeah. well, that was a really good prop if it wasn't actually a dead person. And then the screaming. The screaming ensues, and I love it. Oh, uh, yeah. But then another, the other part I didn't really like about this movie is right after that, he runs in dressed as mom right. with the knife, and he has this weird look on his face. I think he says, screams, I'm Norma. I, I didn't catch it. He just it looked weird, and then boyfriend comes in from behind and grabs the knife arm, and then he, he contorts it. He has this uh, another weird, like pain scream look on his face and i just didn't i thought that was badly i don't know 
put together. I guess I thought it was two personalities colliding. The realization that your mother is dead and it's been found out, so it, it has to hit you. I would have liked a moment there where we see that, where it's depicted. Instead of the boyfriend coming in and immediately grabbing the knife, he could have come in to get her and have seen the mother. He's dressed as the mother, and it's like some sort of like mental break. Like he, right. he, he's freaking out, and he can't do it. It would at least give us that that moment. You know what I mean? Instead, what we get is immediately after that, we're at like the Cook County Psychiatric Hospital or something, whatever wherever it is, and we have like a monologue by the psychiatrist. Yes, we do. Probably the first psychiatrist monologue in a movie, I'm sure. Probably. Comes in and gives like a seven-minute speech to lay it all out. He's not a transvestite, folks, because transvestites get sexual gratification out of this stuff. He's just psycho, you know, type of thing. <laughs> and And like everyone's sitting around just listening. That to me was also not the best part of the movie. I just wish that there was some kind of way to explain to us folk who are born so much later that like what emphasis that put on to the audience. Like what did that make them feel? Because, you know, transvestites must have been like new, right? I can't imagine that that had been like an oh, yeah. old term I, 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 and oh, that I'm, was like totally commonplace. Like it is – I would, not, I would not doubt that there were people that watched the movie that didn't know what it meant. Right. And I just think that that download of information had to happen for the general population. Yeah, and, and also, it's a, he, the psychiatrist is, is an authority figure, somebody who people would trust with his interpretation of what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that mattered a lot more back then than it, I think it does now. Right. and I But I do love... You see Norma, I guess we'll call her Norma now because sure, sure. he has broken his psyche and it's just now just her, I'm assuming. Like, I don't think he's ever going to revert back to That's Norman. what the psychiatrist says. Like, she was the dominant presence, I think he, he said. I didn't said. see any of the sequels, so I don't know. I have not either. I loved how his conversation in his head mimicked Marion Crane's conversation as she had been driving to the Bates Motel. And then he just starts kind of going off. And it's, I just think it's great. The look on his face, the laughter, the smile is perfect. Yeah, he certainly was nuts at the end. I'll give you that. <laughs> I mean, he was nuts the whole time, but, well, I guess that aspect of his personality was nuts. True. And I was trying to figure out, was Anthony Perkins doing the voice of the mother? So there was three actresses combined that made that voice. I don't know quite why. But it wasn't, yeah, it was definitely not one person. It's, it's weird to me because I understand why you want to do that to hide the fact that it's not Anthony Perkins. But realistically, he would have to affect a voice, you know? And, and I guess you could say that he was hearing it in his head, except that... Other people heard it too. Marion right? heard it. So obviously he was having a conversation with himself at that moment out loud. right. And I didn't pick up that there were multiple women doing the voices. So maybe the one in his head has actually a different voice than the one that Marion heard. I don't know. And what I read wasn't clear if it was three women's voices at different times or three women's voices merged into to make this unique voice. That's interesting. Like The Exorcist. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't catch it. Sorry. Hitchcock. <laughs> went over my head. That whole thing went over my He's head. He's just I guess. so brilliant. So brilliant. Beyond me. Yeah. And I didn't know if all this bird stuff was like foreshadowing for the fact that he does the birds. Maybe he had some left over. 
Maybe. It's like, I have all these birds. What do I do? Let's make another movie. I had to kill all these birds in that movie, and I stuffed them all. Now I'm going to put them in this movie. Damn it. <laughs> They're in my, in my house, in my garage, taking up space. Oh, man. <laughs> so what I took out of this movie, the big thing, is just how provocative it was in 1960. Um, it, to me now, it's very dated in the sort of shock value sense, I think. I agree. I agree that it's dated now. Like yeah. you wouldn't really blink an eye at this situation. You wouldn't really blink an eye at somebody stealing $40,000 either. Yeah, well, it's $300,000 in today's money. So right. I guess you might blink an eye at, I mean, some of the fat stack of $300,000 in cash and you were like, I'm taking that. <laughs> I mean, true. granted, I wouldn't try to buy a car with it. No, yeah. In front of a cop, but I mean, whatever, whatever, you do you, you know, see how far you get. All right, well, now that we've reviewed the movie, it's time to rate it. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. The first is technical composition, which represents how well the movie is made, including the script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. The second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And third is enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy watching the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to watch it again? Okay, our scale goes from a 1 to a 10, with a 1 being the worst and a 10 being the best. Helen, why don't you give us your scores? All right, for technical, I gave it a 7. There was just some really good artistic shots that I just enjoyed. For impact, I gave it a seven. I think that knowing some of what the impact of what this movie gave in 1960 gives me a chance to boost it a little bit. Not that I was shocked at all because I had obviously seen it before. And for enjoyment, I gave it a nine because I will definitely watch this movie again and again. I had a hard time with this movie, as I've said previously. I couldn't get into it the first time. I literally saw that it was 10 minutes shy of two hours, and I was like, oh, my God. God, <laughs> like at least the Invisible Man had the decency of being 72 minutes, getting in and getting out quick, and I could watch it. And with the Invisible Man, I felt like I had a a window into that style of movie because we grew up with The Wizard of Oz. And as soon as that movie came on, I was like, I, I get the feel. I kind of understand it. It's a little goofy, a little whatever. You know, the acting is kind of in that same flavor. And so I think I understood it in that way. This movie, I don't watch a lot of 60s movies. I certainly um, don't watch Hitchcock movies, as a matter of fact. And so I think I just didn't have the language to watch it correctly the first time. I went back and watched some videos about about the movie uh, and then watched it a second time and had a much different experience and a, I think a richer experience for it. Um, so I'm going to give this movie an 8 for technical Thought it was really well done. I, I'd almost give it three points just for that very first shot of Arizona. I'm not sure how he did that. I mean, it was amazing looking, like super high def. I don't know. Uh, and uh, as far as impact, I'm going to give this movie a six. I personally didn't feel a lot of the impact. But in 1960, it must have been a, a blast to sit in a theater and watch this movie. And as far as the enjoyment, I am going to give this movie a five. It's average. I know. I know. Oh, boy. Um, I know. I'm, I'm rounding out my experiences. The first time I had a hard time with it. The second time I had a much better experience. All right. All right. Let me let me, let me me roll the old abacus here uh, since Anne's not with us. 
All right, well, I have calculated the scores. Helen, you gave this movie a 7.67. I gave this movie a 6.33, which averaged out gives Psycho an overall score of 7.00, straight 7, which is pretty good, I think. That puts it in our overall ranking at spot number 14, which ties it with Bird Box, Nightmare on Elm Street, and The Exorcist. It's better than Scream, The Void, It Chapter 2, and The Shining, and it's just below Carrie and The Conjuring and Annihilation. I think it fits well with all those. I do too. I mean, if you watch Psycho and The Exorcist and Carrie, and I, I mean, I think all those are really good movies. So I think it's well placed. Looks like we are really enjoying the classics. Yeah, I mean, we're, we'll probably ease out of the classics here pretty soon um, and start varying it up a little more. Maybe we'll go trashy movies next. What mm-hmm. do you think? I think we should do a whole bird theme. Oh boy, I know why. <laughs> I know. Just wait. Bird, birdemic for those of you that are. <laughs> Waiting for the episode that uh, we're going to go crazy on. One of Helen's favorites. Oh, yes. All right. Well, that wraps up for Psycho. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast app you use. And please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout out to tell us how we're doing or suggest movies to review. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at host.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-host, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.